I'm going to be reading Genesis 41, 38 through 57. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all of this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee and he and set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh named Joseph Zaphnath Paneah, and he gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, as his wife. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out before the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea, until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. Now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for, he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. He named the second Ephraim. For, he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. When the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, the seven years of famine began to come. Just as Joseph had said, then there was famine in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, you shall do. When the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. The word of the Lord. Well, if you remember last time we met, we, we were in chapter 41. And last time we looked at, at Joseph as he really waited on God and, and kind of the, the reality of what it means to wait on God. But today I want to drive down a little deeper into chapter 41. And, and I want to begin to, to look at what it means as God's people and how do we deal with success and prosperity. I mean, we're Americans, right? And America is considered the most prosperous nation in the world. And Orange County is probably considered one of the most prosperous counties in all of the United States. But prosperity for God's people, although it's God's blessing, it can also be dangerous for us if our hearts aren't right. I want to share with you what D.L. Moody said. D.L. Moody said, we can stand affliction better than we can prosperity. For in prosperity... We forget God. Sometimes what happens to us, even as Christians, is when we have everything we need, everything we want, what do I need God for? 
And the whole thing about religion and Jesus and these kind of things kind of becomes just routine. And sometimes when, when there's affliction and difficulty, yeah, we're pressing in. But when things are going good, when the bills are paid, we have excess money, when, when things are looking good, we can start to drift and drift away from our first love. Now, God expects us to be faithful and to honor him in the difficult times. But he also expects us to be faithful and honor him when things are going well. And so today I want to take a look at Joseph because Joseph, I think more than anyone else in the Bible, suddenly it literally goes rags to riches. Great wealth, great notoriety, great power. And how does he deal with that kind of success? We'll take a look at that right now. How did Joseph remain faithful with overwhelming success? First thing we'll see is Joseph maintained an ongoing relationship with God. Joseph kept that relationship with God alive. God was the first thing in his life. Look at verses 38 through 41. It says, then Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So, jo so the Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are, and you shall be over my house. And according to your command, all my people should do homage only in the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Truly rags to riches. Now remember, Joseph, when he was a young man, had been betrayed by his brothers. He'd been sold into slavery. He ends up in Potiphar's house. And then he's betrayed by Potiphar's wife. And then he ends up in prison. But nowhere could I find any indication that Joseph did the blame game. Nowhere did he blame God. Instead, in the affliction, as we looked at last time, we saw that he actually honored God. He praised God. He, the affliction actually drew him closer to God and his faith grew. And it was through that testing of affliction that Joseph developed God-like character. He was a man who truly trusted God. He survived betrayal, rejection, loss, suffering, and yet his faith grew. In that kind of a testing, his faith grew, but now there's a new kind of testing. Suddenly he has great success. Suddenly he's going to have great prosperity. And we'll see in this prosperity, the thing that will help them more than anything else is that he has a strong and vibrant relationship with God. God is his main thing. He stays in touch with him. And we see this in the way that he responded to Pharaoh in the very beginning when Pharaoh called him out of prison. Now remember, Pharaoh had these two dreams and he couldn't find anybody to interpret the dreams and so his, his cupbearer said, hey, I know this man that was in prison and suddenly Joseph finds himself standing before Pharaoh. And Joseph could have, at that point, really built up a reputation for himself, but he didn't do that. Instead, he gives God all the glory and all the credit. And in verse 16, it says, Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And last week, we saw that Pharaoh had told Joseph about the two dreams. 
The first dream was one of a fat cows, seven of them, eating in the Nile, the grass in the Nile. And then he also saw in his dream seven sick cows, you might call them, thin, and those thin cows ate the fat cows. And then there were seven heads of grain, and in his dream they were healthy grain, and then these seven heads of grain that were, were dry and, and withered, and those dry and withered grains ate the healthy grain. And then Joseph gives this interpretation, but in the interpretation, three different times he gives the credit for the dreams and the credit for the interpretation to God. In verse 25, he says, God has told the Pharaoh what he's about to do. In verse 28, he says, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. And in verse 32, he says, the matter has been determined by God and God will quickly bring it about. And then Joseph explained that there's gonna be seven years of great abundance and then there would be seven years of famine. And then Joseph makes a suggestion to Pharaoh to place a man over all of Egypt and Pharaoh heeds his advice and in verse 41 we see he says, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Now, Joseph was just a common man that God called for his ordained purpose and this is often what you see in scripture. You see this with Abraham. Abraham's father, Terah, was a pagan. And God calls Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees, a pagan land, and he promises him that he's gonna be the father of many nations. You see this with God's call on Moses. Moses was born to common Hebrew slaves. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, but then he spent 40 years as a shepherd in the desert. And yet God called him to shepherd his people and lead them in the exodus out of Egypt. You see this with David. He was a common shepherd boy, born to a normal Jewish family. And then he's called to be a king in Israel. And all these men were given positions of leadership by God. They were given influence and power and great wealth. And all of them kept their main focus the Lord, not perfectly, but consistently. You also see this with the disciples in the first century. I mean, I think about Peter and John. They were common fishermen, and yet God called them to be fishers of men. Joseph was just a normal man that God called for this purpose, and suddenly he finds himself very wealthy, very powerful with everything in life. And oftentimes what can happen with those of us as Christians in our day is when the wealth comes, actually we find that we stumble more than in the difficult times. And there's nothing wrong with wealth. It is a blessing from God. The issue is our heart. Where is our heart when we get all those things we've ever wanted? But never do we see Joseph stumble. Joseph remains steadfast in his faith. Now, Joseph was given great power and great wealth. He was given the signet ring of Pharaoh. That means he has unlimited purchasing power. He could even call the whole army of Egypt to his call. Joseph was also given the golden chain. That means he was the second man of all of Egypt. He also wore fine linen. He had a chariot. That means whenever he went anywhere, people recognized he was a man of power. And yet that power did not have his heart. Why? Because he was focused. His life was centered on God. And as a young man of 30 with a bright new future, 
He could go wherever he wanted. He could buy whatever he wanted. And in that kind of a situation, oftentimes a person might be tempted to forget God. But he didn't. And we see this particularly in the way that he gave his children Hebrew names. As Brooke said, his first son's name was Masana. And Masana means God has made me forget all my trouble. His second son's name was Ephraim. God has made me fruitful in the land of affliction. And so Joseph, he has this ongoing relationship with God. He is God-centered. And it's critical when times of abundance come that we as God's people stay Christ-centered. That he is the main thing in our life. Because in those times when everything is going our way, there is a tendency in our heart to begin to drift and we begin to like the things of this world. And if we lose our focus on God, then our hearts will begin to drift with increasing prosperity and we begin to medicate ourselves with the things of this world, entertainment, pleasure, fun, anything that money can buy. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, it's better to be happy than to be rich and happiness lies in the heart rather than the purse. Not what a man has, but what a man is will decide his bliss or woe in this life or the next. And so if we're not mindful during prosperity, during those good times, we may find our happiness and security is no longer in God, but actually it's in our bank account. It's in our portfolio. It's in our home. It's in our possessions. And we'll find that our heart has actually drifted away from the true, the one who's truly ours, which is the Lord himself. I don't know if you've noticed this, but money has a tendency to kind of fly away, doesn't it? You seem to get it, and suddenly it just kind of disappears. In fact, that's a proverb. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 says, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from considering of it. When you set your eye on it, it is gone, for wealth certainly makes itself wings, and like an eagle, it flies towards heaven. And I recently read a study, and it was done in 2010. A bunch of professors got together, and they, they studied the, what's known as the Powerball uh, Lottery in Florida. It's called Fantasy Five. And it was a three-year study, and the large lottery winners were more likely to go bankrupt than small winners. And as they, they looked at it, the people who had large sums of money, they never paid off their debt. The majority of them actually went into more debt. And consultant Don McKay, he concludes, he said, winning the lottery did not help people increase their net worth. They were actually worse off because of it. And many of us, we probably will never experience kind of that, that rags to riches story like winning the lottery or like Joseph. But the truth remains the same. If our heart is given over to the things of this life, particularly in prosperous times, we may find that our heart has actually drifted away from the Lord. And we'll find that our hope actually becomes in the things of this world and not in God. But Joseph, he understood his responsibility. He knew where his help came from. And he stayed focused. His relationship was real with God. You know, I used to be a salesman. Matter of fact, I, I started selling in, in what was known as the forms industry. I think when they even had real business forms. I don't even know if they have them anymore. I mean, they don't use paper anymore. Everything's digital. But on that day, I was 28 years old when I started in that industry. And I, I was hired by a company called More Business Forms. It was the largest forms manufacturer in that day and age. And, and I was hired in uh, a sales office here in Costa Mesa. 
And my job was to land new accounts. A lot of cold calling, a lot of knocking on doors. And for whatever reason, I was good at it. And my very first year, I got salesman of the year for the whole company. Second year, salesman of the year for the whole company. Third year, I got shopped by a headhunter, a a business recruiter, and I ended up taking a job with a local company my third year named Image Printing. That year, I came to know Christ. And at the end of that year, the salesman that had the largest account in our company got caught doing something wrong and he got fired. And I'll never forget, I'm sitting at my desk and my boss walks in my office and said, I'm giving you his account. It was Santa Ana Medical Center. And suddenly, it was kind of like a Joseph story. I went from rags to riches overnight. And then the next year, I landed all of St. Joseph Health Center, all the hospitals, all the medical centers. And literally, Karen and I found ourselves in this totally different situation where it came to funds. We had kind of an average salary, and suddenly we made more in one month than we had made in six months previously. And I found a different temptation in my heart, a different fight. When things were hard, I was close to the Lord. When things were difficult, I was constantly seeking God. But suddenly, we had excess, and I mean a lot of excess. And suddenly, I found my heart seeking the things in this world, the stuff, the money, the investments. And it was a temptation to put everything in the here and now. And that's the temptation that was posed to Jesus, the second temptation by the devil. In Luke 4, 6 and through 8, it says, the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, and it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and you shall serve him only. And the world, the flesh, the devil is always trying to tempt us, and one way sometimes it tempts us is in prosperity. And I love what Paul the Apostle says. He he says, you know, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I've learned to live in humble means, and I've learned to live in prosperity. And he says, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That was actually a very valuable lesson for me to learn at that time. And I learned that the most important thing for me at that time of prosperity is that the Lord was first and that I kept focused on him, that he was dead sinner in our life. And God protected us and he helped us. First thing we see with Joseph is he maintained an ongoing relationship with the Lord. There's a second thing. Joseph sought the wisdom of God and all his decisions. So how did he remain faithful in prosperity? He sought God's wisdom in all his decisions. The pull of riches and the pull of power is strong and it takes godly wisdom to navigate that. Look at verses 46 through 49. It says, now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh the king and Joseph went out before the very presence of Pharaoh And he went through the land of Egypt during the seven years of plenty, and the land brought forth abundantly. And so he gathered all the food in those seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt, and he placed the food in the cities, and he placed in every city the food from its surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. Now, godly wisdom is different than knowledge or understanding or just intelligence. And there's four things about wisdom I want us to look at right up front. 
The first thing is that true wisdom begins with our understanding of who God is. True wisdom starts right there. Who is God? Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so true wisdom begins in God himself because God is wisdom. Paul the apostle said, The only true wise God. So wisdom comes from God. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't have a relationship with God, then you can never gain true wisdom. You might be very intelligent, you might be very smart, you might even have great knowledge. But wisdom, godly wisdom, is imparted from him, given from him. There's a second thing. Wisdom can only be imparted to God's people who have a correct heart attitude towards God. Our heart has to be right for him. Psalm 111.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you have a reverence of God? Do you understand that he is holy, 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 and he deserves our reverence, our worship? Is your heart given over to him in praise and the glory goes to him? Because the right heart, the heart of worship, the heart of reverence, godly fear, that kind of heart is the kind of heart that God imparts wisdom. There's a third thing. We are to seek his wisdom. James chapter one, verse five says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. The scriptures are clear that we as God's people are to seek wisdom, we're to pray for it, we're to ask him for it. And where do you find it? The fourth thing, wisdom of God is primarily found in the word of God. God has given us his word, and in his word is great wisdom. Psalm chapter 19, verse seven says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The law of the Lord and the testimony of the Lord is a term, titles for the word of God. And it is in the word of God that you will discover wisdom and we're to seek for it, we're to hunger for it and God will gladly give it to his people who have a right heart and desire to know it. Now Joseph in his day did not have the word of God but he had the right heart and God imparted to Joseph wisdom through direct revelation. He helped him as he was making these decisions for the land of Egypt. And Joseph now has unlimited power, unlimited wealth, but he remained faithful to God with the wisdom that was given to him. And he did it in two main areas, two main places. First was in his work, and then in his family. And I want us to take a look at each way. How do we see wisdom in the way that Joseph acted? First, we'll take a look at his work. Joseph was a diligent and hard worker. I mean, this guy worked hard. It says in verse 46 that he went through all the land of Egypt. That means he went from city to city to city to city to make sure that it was set up properly so when you had that time of abundance that they had silos in place to store the grain so that when that famine hit, that everything would be in place. He was diligent. He was a hard worker. And I gotta tell you, as Christians, that should be the testimony for us. More than anyone else in the workplace, it should be the Christian worker that are the most diligent and hard workers. Why? Because we're not working for money. We're not working for our company. We are working for the Lord. 
And so when that kind of a hard attitude is done, we'll be diligent, we'll be hardworking, and that's what we see with him. Why? Because it's all for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And Joseph had godly wisdom, and he applied that wisdom through hard work. Second, Joseph regards his work, he had wise strategy. There was wisdom in his planning. Verse 48 says, he gathered all the food in these seven years in which occurred in the land of Egypt, and he placed the food in the cities, and he placed in every city the food from its surrounding fields. In the times that were prosperous, he had set up such a system so that everything was in place, and they were able to gather from the fields right there, storm in each city, so when the famine hit, every city was cared for. Everything was taken care of. And this is a proverb. Now, although that proverb had not been written yet, he's doing exactly what the proverb said in Proverbs 6 through 8. It says, go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler prepares her food in summer and gathers her provision in harvest. There's a wise thing to do to plan for the future, and Joseph had that godly wisdom. Third thing he did, we see that his strategy was effective. God had blessed the wisdom. He worked hard. He had this strategy, and it worked. Verse 49, thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until it stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. There was no system that he had in place that could measure the amount of food that he had. The surplus was so great, so effective. And finally, he had incredible leadership skills. He had wisdom and leadership. In verse 55 at the end, it, it says that Pharaoh said, whatever he says, you shall do. So this is after seven years, suddenly you have this famine and the people are coming to Pharaoh and saying, Pharaoh, we need food. And Pharaoh still says, go talk to that guy. He's got the wisdom. Why? Because he sought God. He knew where his wisdom came from. So Joseph displayed godly wisdom at work, but he also displayed godly wisdom in his home with his family. And you see this again with the names that he gave his kids, his two sons. See, Joseph was very strategic. He, he knew what he was doing. He was intentional by giving them Hebrew names. He was given an Egyptian name, Zephaniah Paneah. That means God speaks and he lives. And his wife was an Egyptian wife. She was the daughter of the high priest of Un. So the influence from his wife to his own children would be pagan. And so what does he do? He intentionally gives them Hebrew names. His first son, Masana, God has made me forget all my trouble. Ephraim, his second son, God has made me fruitful in the land. He did that for a specific reason. In that culture, names are very important. So every time their kids heard their name, they would know where they were from and who they were. They were Hebrews. They were God's kids. And they knew it every time their name was shared. And can I tell you something? It is so important in this day and age, in this time, for we as parents and grandparents to have great wisdom with our children. I think more than any other time that I can think of, it is now that we need godly wisdom in the way that we raise our kids. And there's three things I wanna share with you just straight up front about raising kids that you should think through and consider. First thing, know who is influencing your kids. 
Know who is influencing your kids. That means do you know their teachers and what they're teaching? Do you know their friends and their friends' parents? Who is influencing your children? Who speaks into their life, particularly as they go into the teenage years? Second, know what is influencing your kids. There is so much media out there, and the moment you give them a phone, they have access to the whole world. You need to know what your kids are watching, what they're reading, what they're involved in. If they play video games, you need to know what the messaging is on those videos. If they're watching TV, you need to understand what the messaging is on the TV shows that they watch. Third thing, know how you are influencing your kids. Do your kids see in you a love for Christ? What's the message that you give to them? Do they see you actively seeking the Lord? Do they see you actually have a devotional life? Do they see you as a double standard? You say one thing, but yet you live another. Because you are the ones that will influence them more than anyone else. And the way that you live out your life before them will have the greatest impact. And I want to speak to the men particularly. God has called the men to lead their families spiritually. He has called us to lead to set the bar. Do your kids see you as godly fathers that love the Lord, that are leading the charge for them? Do they understand how much you love God and love them? So important. Joseph from the very beginning had set the bar high. He said, you are God's kids. You know where you're from. You know who you are. You know, parenting for Karen and I, uh, my wife and I, is basically over. We're empty nesters, the kids are out. In fact, they're having their own families now. And, and so, you know, we're, we're grateful for what the Lord has done with our children. And a few months ago, Karen and I were sitting at home and we got a call from our daughter, Emily. By the way, Emily was here yesterday. I got a chance to spend a few hours with her. She was helping a friend of hers pick a wedding dress and uh, flew in the day before. I had three hours with her, flew out, it was great. But she called us a few months ago and she was driving back from a, her church small group and, and the conversation of the small group was the influence that, that your parents have had in your life and that was the discussion. And our daughter was crying. She was super emotional after that discussion and she wanted us to talk to her. And so she started to share with us different people in the group. She was the only one in her group that had Christian parents. And then she started to tell about their friends' lives. One of the girls in the group shared how her dad had cheated on her mother and they were divorced and he deserted the family. Another person in the group shared how both her parents were alcoholics and how difficult it was for her even now to have a relationship with him. Another person in the group shared how their parents were just distant. They were so into their careers that she didn't even know them and she didn't even think they had really even a relationship. And our daughter was the only one that just had normal Christian parents. And guys, we made a ton of mistakes. I mean, nothing perfect. But then our daughter thanked us. Man, we were so blessed. And she says, I get it now. She's a mom now. She's got two kids of her own. And she says, I see what you guys have been telling me all these years. I finally get it. And it blessed us just to hear that just some of the basic stuff that we did, no perfection, we were trying to figure it out like anybody else. But can I tell you the best thing we ever did? 
Karen and I made a decision right up front that Jesus Christ would be in the center of our marriage. We made a decision that we would pray for our kids every day. We made a decision that we would raise our kids in a church, in this church. We've been here for 20 years. Our daughter was seven when we came here. And over the years, she just saw that we walked with Christ. No perfection, but that we loved Jesus and that we served Jesus. And we wanted her to do the same. No guarantees either. We have two kids that are following the Lord, love Jesus, raising their kids in Jesus, one who's a prodigal. Can I tell you? Joseph had wisdom. We prayed for wisdom all the time. He had wisdom in his work, but also in his family. And isn't that our heart? The way that you fight the constant pull of the things of this world, particularly prosperity, is you ask for wisdom. So that's the second thing. Joseph sought the wisdom of God in all his decisions. He had an ongoing relationship with God. And finally, the last thing. Joseph was a generous steward with all that God had given him. Joseph was a generous steward with what God had given him. So now we know that we have a generous God. God is so generous and he calls his people to be generous as well. Look at verses 56 and 57. It says, when the famine was spread all over the face of the earth and Joseph opened the storehouses and sold to the Egyptian and the famine was severe in all the land of Egypt. And then the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. And so the picture here is is of a worldwide famine. This is an incredibly huge famine. Now, I was thinking about this when I was doing this study. I realized I have not had one day where I did not have access to food and water, a bed to sleep in, a roof over my head, and clothes to wear. I think the worst it ever got for me was on a camping trip where I underpacked food. And I got kind of, I ran out of food before the end of the trip. But other than that guy, that's, that's the extent of my suffering in this area. We live in such a different time than many people for generations in the past. I was talking to Pastor Neil this morning. He was talking about in 1000 AD that there were a number of famines that happened in that day. But in our day, we really don't understand that. But understand, this is severe. You're talking life or death. They are out of food. People are starving to death. And so Joseph, as a good steward, he cared for the people of Egypt. And in, and in verse 56, it says that he sold them grain. Now, that doesn't mean that he gouged them. I think he's a man of God. He was fair with what he sold them, and he cared for them. He was a good steward. But on top of that, he was also a generous steward. And I see that in verse 57. It says that the people of all the earth came to Egypt. Now, I don't believe Pharaoh would have sold grain to all the people outside of Egypt because he doesn't know if that grain would last for seven full years, but Joseph is God's man. And Joseph understands the heart of God. And God's heart is a generous heart. God's heart is a compassionate heart. So Joseph opened up the granaries to whoever would come to Egypt. That's a heart of generosity. That's a heart that has been changed by the Spirit of God. Why? Because Joseph had a real living relationship with God. He had wisdom from God's direct revelation. And so he opens up to whoever can come that they can receive it. And guys, if you want to remain faithful to the Lord in prosperity, this is a key. You have to be generous. 
You have to have a heart that is generous because our God is generous. And because our God is generous, he expects his people to be the same way. In three areas, our time, our talent, and our treasure. Now, Joseph was generous with his time. He went all over Egypt. He went from city to city to city to make sure that the country was prepared. His talent, he was a gifted administrator, and God used him in a very powerful way to impact that nation and to to secure that nation. And he was generous with the proceeds, with the grain. Now, the surplus in that day, the things you might call their resources, it was basically crops and herds. Today, resources for us is primarily money. Wealth, material things. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus spoke more about money than any other topic except for the kingdom of God. That was one of his main messages. And Jesus is our ultimate example of the generosity of God. God gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. A generous God and he expects his people to be generous as well. Now, biblically, what does generosity look like? Well, generosity biblically looks basically bottom line right now for a New Testament believer is 10% is kind of the starting point if you're talking your resources, giving back to God. Understand something about tithing. The concept of the tithe is not a New Testament command, but it's found in the Old Testament before the law was ever given. Abraham gave 10% of the proceeds that he got when he had basically the, um, when he had the, the proceeds from, from war and he gave it to Melchizedek, he freely gave 10% to him because he was the king of Salem and also a priest of God. You also see it with his son, Jacob. Jacob had this dream in, in Bethel of this ladder going up to heaven and angels ascending and descending on it and afterwards he set up a shrine and in that shrine he says, I will give you a tenth of everything I have in Genesis 28, 22. And so the pattern of a tithe was set up in the Old Testament before the law. Then you have the law given. But understand, the Mosaic law, they did have the tithe, but actually it was two and a third tithes. The Jewish people were commanded to give 23 and a third percent tithe every year of what God allowed them to have. And on top of that, they had free will offerings that would be given in feasting times the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Booze, it came out to somewhere over 30% of everything they took in, they were to give back to God. Before the New Testament believer, we are never commanded to tithe. Now don't get excited about that because I think it's an assumption by God that we will naturally be generous. This is a starting point for us as believers. Nowhere do we see Jesus ever said not to tithe. And I think the heart here is that we are to have an open heart first to God and then to others. And there are two principles that we have to get when it comes to generosity. And the first principle is sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this. It says, now I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And so the context of this is you have the Corinthian church and the Corinthian church had made a promise to Paul that because Rome was struggling, the church in Rome was struggling, that they were going to give an offering, take an offering and then give it to Paul, but they were late. They didn't renege, they just didn't give it. And so Paul writes them a letter and he begins to expound 
how faithful the Macedonian church was. The Macedonians were so faithful, but they were very poor. Listen to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. He says, now brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches of Macedonia, that in greater deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty had overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. The Macedonians who were poor gave bountifully. And so basically Paul is saying, if you're stingy and not generous, don't expect for God to pour out blessings. He says, but if you are generous, you can never outgive God. Sowing and reaping. And how people view money is an effective barometer of their spirituality and their trust in God. Because money is morally neutral. You can have evil people use money for evil purposes. You have godly people use money for good purposes. But Jesus said this in Luke 12, 34. He says, for wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And for Joseph, his treasure was first God. And then whatever God allowed him to be a steward over, he was generous with. So that's the first principle, sowing and reaping. There's a second principle. Generosity reveals the motive of the heart. And this is verse seven in 2 Corinthians 9. It says, each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so the motive of our giving is very important. Why do we, or how do we, or what's the motive in our heart to give of our time and our talent and our treasure? And Paul writes that we should purpose to do it. That means be strategic. We are to, to purpose in our hearts. So first, we should have a strategy on how we're going to use our time, our talent, and our treasure for God. So as New Testament saints, first again, remember, we're not commanded to tithe but there's a principle that's been laid here that we're to be faithful in everything that God has given us. So first, we should be strategic. We should plan out our giving. God wants us to plan out what we give. And, and the attitude shouldn't be forced, but it should be one that's cheerful. He says not grudgingly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful literally means Hilarious is the Greek, it means hilarious, full of joy. Like I cannot wait to give back to God from my time, my talent, and my treasure. So it's not forced, it comes from the heart, and that pleases God. Now I don't know if Joseph was a hilarious giver, but I think he was the kind of man that had great joy knowing God had called him to that purpose. And he was generous with all that God had given him. So I'll just give you kind of straight up what Karen and I have done for the last 27 years. Karen and I have determined that, that everything we have is owned by God. So our time, our talent, and our treasure, it's His. And so we've determined with our time and our talent that we would, one, time, first, every day we spend time with God. We have a relationship. We seek Him in the morning. We spend time with him in the word of God and in prayer. But then time and talent, we also serve the Lord. Now we've been in this church for over 20 years now and we have served the Lord pretty much six months after we started coming to this church. And I think Karen and I have done just about everything I can think of in this church. 
Why? Because we want to give back what God has given us. And through that process, we've learned the different giftings and the way that he's made it. And so we've given of our, our time and our talent. But what about treasure? Well, treasure is financial means, the way he's blessed us. And so we're strategic. And so we do a budget every month. And the first line on the budget is the tithe, the first tenth of everything God gives us. We give back to the place of worship because that's the pattern that's set in the Bible. The first tenth to the church. And then we have free will offerings, which is extra things like missions, things that God is doing, and we give to that strategically. And then we have planning for our bills and all that. We make sure we're on time, good stewards. We plan in a little bit of fun. And then we have an open hand before God. Because we understand that all of it, everything comes from him. And I see that with Joseph. It's, it's the heart that matters from God? Do you take joy in what God has given you so that you can give it back to his work? And with Joseph, he was able to maintain a faithful with, walk with God because of three things. He had this ongoing relationship. He constantly sought God in wisdom. And then he was a generous steward with all that God had given him. Amen? Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for... Uh, really just the, the example of Joseph's life. As we look at the way you've used him, Lord, as we see the way that, that you called him to really protect those people, and later on we'll see that you actually are going to use him so that his family is protected as well. Lord, would you help us to be the kind of people that you can use with our time and our talent and our treasure? God, would you give us wisdom in this day, Lord, as each of us here live in such a prosperous place, may our hearts never wander. May we not drift. May our hearts be focused on you and, and wanting to serve you. So, Lord, we give you our hearts now. And we pray that you would bless. In Jesus' name, amen.